Welcome to the Success School Podcast. We're on episode 29. Steph and I are super excited to give you guys this episode. We are so thankful for all the feedback we've been receiving. So keep that coming. If you're a listener, if you're one of the 34 on YouTube, we appreciate you. If you're one of the many more on Spotify and Apple, thank you. Steph, how are you feeling? I am also just so grateful, guys. We had a look at our stats last week and we could see that more and more downloads are happening and also that we actually hit 10,000 downloads, which we are thrilled about, honestly, guys. And like Tim said, the feedback we've been getting has just been so phenomenal. So please keep dropping into our DMs and telling us what you're loving. It really allows us to support you so much more. So this week we are talking about how to save 100K per year and 20 hours a week of work. And the way we accomplish that is by hiring a VA or a virtual assistant. So Steph and I are going to give you the 411 on exactly why to do it, how to do it, step-by-steps, where to find them, all the management stuff that you might not be sure about. If you have a VA at the moment, that's incredible. We can make that process even better for you with this episode. If you don't have a VA at the moment, at the end of this, you're going to feel very confident to hire one. So we're going to kick off with a couple of rapid fire questions. I'm going to hit Steph. As always, Steph loves to talk. So we're going to give her a 60 minute time cap on these rapid 60 fire minutes? Questions. 60 minutes? That's very 60, generous. <laughs> 60 second time cap on these questions. So question one, Steph, what is working in marketing today that our listeners can try immediately? One thing that has just been crushing for all of our clients that costs absolutely no money at all is creating a high value lead magnet. So a high value tool, resource, template, webinar, any of those things and posting it into Facebook groups for free for people to have access to. The key thing here is that your lead magnet must solve a problem for the person who is downloading it. If you do that, you will get so many downloads. You will grow your email list so quickly. It's working so much. Now, what it also allows you to do is grow your email list, which is great. Yay. We can keep marketing to those people, which is great. But the other thing that's really beneficial is that you can start conversations with every single one of those people as well, because they obviously have a problem that you know how to solve. And so you'd be doing them a disservice if you don't offer them the thing. 52 seconds. Incredible. Well under 60. (laughs) Question two, what have you changed your mind on recently in business? I once got told by a mentor that you can either have time or money in business. You can't have both. And he was really indicating to me that, you know, when you have a lot of money in business, you very rarely have time and that you will spend some of that money to be able to buy your time back by hiring employees or contractors or whatever that might look like. I actually have changed my belief system on that. I think you can have both. I think it just takes a little while to build. I don't think that in the first couple of years that you can have both. I think it does take some time, but I do believe, and I think we are both living proof that you can have time and money. And so if that is something that you desire, please know that is available for you. 100% possible. Question three, what is stopping biz babes from growing that is unique to their industry? Kind of biz babe specific from what you've seen. And by biz babe, I mean females in business. When you say stops them from growing, Mm. what do you mean? So stops them from taking it to the next level in their business, stops them from making sales, stops them from getting out marketing, stops them from scaling. Look, honestly, I'd say it's probably a fear of judgment. I think that a lot of the reasons why women don't show up on social media, why they don't do the marketing, why they don't do the sales processes or get on sales calls, why they're scared of all of those things typically will come down to the fact that they have fear of being judged. They fear of people seeing them, a fear of people saying something about them, a fear of people thinking they're salesy. Like It's usually around a fear of what will people think. And I think if women-based businesses can shift and can become utterly unapologetic in their approach to business, in the way that they go after their goals, then I think that all women in business would crush at a much higher level. So, Tim, 
rapid fire for you now. I'm going to give you the same 60-second time gap. Sweet. Can you please explain the business dynamics and benefits of having a man and a woman in a business? I think that men and women have like a yin and a yang kind of relationship in a business. The man can be very logical and the woman can at times be very emotional. It helps to have two, like sometimes like the fire starter and the fire putter outer. Okay. In other words, that's <laughs> who's so, the fire putter outer? Definitely me. So <laughs> if someone's coming in with heat, it's always good for the other person to like dull the flame, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a, uh, a benefit of having both in a business. And we've seen, we know a lot of people that are at and over that seven figure mark and they do have another person in the business, maybe behind the scenes running things, etc. And I think that works a lot better. Mm, yeah, we've seen it work really well with our business and also in yeah a lot of our friends' businesses as well. Second question, what is your theory on money when it comes to handing it down to your kids instead of spending it now? Yeah, so we've had this discussion a few times in the last couple of weeks, Steph and I, and we are kind of like, if we hand down all of our stuff to our kids, which is great and save up and, and yada yada, will it just fuck them up like long term? Because we know a ton of people that have super wealthy parents and, and it, they end up just being like a little bit ungrateful and they end up not working as hard because they know that they have that safety net to fall back on. So Steph and I have a bit of like a fuck it, let's enjoy ourselves mentality, especially with money. Um, not that we're not doing irresponsible things, you know, buying a house and, and saving, etc. But we are definitely enjoying it more than we would. So if our goal was to build this massive legacy for our family. Yeah, definitely. And I think just on that, like, we definitely plan on handing our assets down to our kids, but there's no point in our minds of giving our kids millions of dollars in cash to go and blow on stuff that they're not even going to appreciate because they haven't worked for it. And so, yeah, I, I love that. What are the main differences, in your opinion, between male and female small businesses? Yeah, this is a great question. So I think the main difference is from what I've seen is that female businesses definitely support each other much more to a greater extent than male and male businesses, which is it's crazy. It's like female businesses, they will just go above and beyond to work with another female business, even if it is at their own detriment, okay, which is just wild because it's such a support factor, where guys is a little bit more reserved, a little bit less supportive, a little bit like dog eat dog type mentality out there. That's what I've seen in my experiences in small business. I've definitely seen that men are more competitive in every field, actually, and in every arena, both in the gym, at sports, in business. And I, so I th that makes sense. I think they're a little bit more competitive, or I think a women are a little bit more collaborative. We more prefer to be in community together. But that can be also very limiting for women, because if you're not, you know, not competing, but if you're not pushing ahead, you know, you can get very stuck in that community and, and kind of not outgrow it as well. Yeah, there are a couple of great questions there. So we're going to get stuck into the content, guys. We're talking about hiring a VA today, okay? So uh, we're going to give you the exact 411 as I alluded to in the intro of this. So first question for Steph, what kind of tasks can you outsource to a VA or a virtual assistant? I'm pretty much of the belief that you could probably outsource anything to a VA at this point. And let me tell you right now, I actually did not believe that at the beginning. Tim was actually the first person who introduced me to VAs and I hired my first of a VA because of Tim. And I remember being like, oh my God, I can't trust them with anything. I can't give them my passwords. How could I possibly let them into my business? So anyone who's sitting here who hasn't hired a VA yet, I understand what you're feeling. Like I have, I have been there, done that. And over the years, I've been like, oh, there's just stuff that a VA can't do. You know, a VA can't do these things. And over the couple years, uh, I've realized more and more as we've brought more and more VAs into the business and, you know, they've developed their skills, they 
pretty much can do anything that you need them to do. Probably not business coaching in our program. You could probably train them to, but they're sometimes not so good with like the marketing. Sometimes I find it's a little bit more tricky just because of, yeah, like copywriting. And that's just a language thing. Like you probably wouldn't ask someone Spanish to write your Australian English copy, right? So it kind of makes sense where their strengths lie. But if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking about getting a VA or you've got a VA, but you don't know how to best utilize them, emails. And yes, even our VA right now, she does all of our client communications, all of our billing, things like payment fails, chasing up invoices, sending invoices, all can be done by that person. Um, admin tasks, so updating notes, sending out client communications, any kind of spreadsheets and reports, which you guys all should be running. Um, absolutely getting reports every single month with KPIs on them. Social media scheduling, social media engagement are really, really great. Social media DMing, they're all really great tasks for a VA. Email marketing, um, this is the first thing that I actually hired my VA for was to help me out with email marketing and she used to do all the automation on the tech as well. So, you know, integrating things so that when someone signed up to my mailing list, they would get emails and they would get sequences and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, graphic design in Canva, I don't think I've ever not had a graphic designer as a Filipino VA. Literally pretty much anything you can imagine, they could be trained to do. Tim's even had some doing sales calls for him at some points in his business. And yeah, they can literally do anything and, and usually around, you know, 20 to 30 hours per week. Yeah, I had a, I hired a VA to do sales calls for me. So we used closed.io and I gave them a list of like 600 X clients and they just went through and just dialed all of them and made them an offer. So that's what a VA can do, Tim. What has your personal experience been with VAs and like, have they been worth it? Yeah, so obviously the first time you do anything in business is pretty awful, okay? You're going to be not great at managing them. They're not going to be great because they don't have the skills because they haven't been trained. But it's something that you just need to work at. So I've hired about 40 through all the different companies we've had over the last 15 years. And I've had some epic VAs and I've had some not epic VAs, okay? You know, I usually hire for personality and I hire for work ethic and I hire for those things. And then I train the skills, okay? Big mistake people have is they go out looking for the perfect VA for $5 an hour, okay? Which just doesn't exist. Like this type of VA that you're looking for is 20, 30, 40, 50. So my strategy here is hire cheap, train them, invest in them over time like you would any good employee. And then eventually you're going to have a savage like we do. So mm-hmm. we have a savage in our company that runs both at the moment. So she does multiple companies at a really reasonable rate, but I have invested the time in her over years. Okay. I didn't expect her to be five-star amazing run customer service, like a boss, like all the things in her first month. And that's where so many people go wrong. Their expectations are like, you know, hundred dollar an hour employee and they're willing to pay five. And there's just a massive mismatch there. Yeah. And I love what you said about like, you've hired some great ones and some not so great ones. And I think like that hasn't just happened with Filipino VAs, that's happened with Western staff as well. And so, you know, like guys, if you're in a small business and you're hiring for your first time, it's your first couple of years, you're going to have hiring fails. Like this is how you learn. I think what a lot of people do is they have a VA, it doesn't work out. It wasn't the right fit. And they go, oh, VAs just don't work. It's kind of like saying, and we use this analogy all the time, but like, you know, you to put a Facebook ad up and it doesn't work and being like, oh, Facebook ads don't work, even though like the entire world uses Facebook ads. It's kind of like saying, oh, well, you know, I had a boyfriend once and he was an asshole. So all men are broken. You know, it's unfair to place that one experience as 100% of truth. So I really think that if you guys haven't hired one perfectly, that's okay. And that's just part of the process. 
Yeah, lastly on this point, like they have Filipino VAs have a different culture to us, but they are very grateful. Okay. A lot of people are just thinking, like, you know, Filipino VAs, it's not going to work. There's a cultural difference. They don't work as hard. I have a funny story about this as well. We had one of our clients that was suggesting to me on a group coaching call that their Western admin or virtual assistant was better than a Filipino. And I said to her, I'm willing to give you a thousand dollar bet that my VA that earns six times less than your Western VA will work the socks off your Western VA. Like if there was an output or a, you know, something that we could measure it by, because I'm so confident in her ability to get the job done, even though she is in the Philippines. Usually it's a limiting belief. You want to hire the best person for the job, not just because you have a bias to a certain type of person or where they're from. Mm, absolutely. All right. So Steph, what are the differences between overseas VAs that we've been talking about and Australian VAs? I think that both have their place. And I think there's a couple of things here. One, risk tolerance. You know, obviously when you're hiring someone from Australia, there's a lot of safety nets in place. There's a lot of things they can't do that, you know, can be punished by Australian law. Obviously, when you hire somebody in the Philippines, Australian law has no jurisdiction. So it, it really is quite hard to get anything, you know, back. Personally, I've never had that experience. But at the end of the day, it is the risk that, of course, that you take. So if you, it depends what your risk appetite looks like. The investment is wildly different. So in Australia, looking at at least $50 an hour for a VA, if you're looking for a good VA in Australia, probably looking more like $65, $70 an hour. And, you know, for a Filipino VA, the average rate is between $6 and $10 an hour. So it's a vastly different price point. And I think that it might take you a little bit more time to train somebody up. But in the long run, it is incredibly beneficial to have someone like that, in, especially as small business guys, because you know, let's be real, you don't have a lot of extra income left over at the end of the month. And I think that you would rather be able to give something to your family and, and reinvest it back into your business if you had the opportunity to. And last but not least, I would say the quality of work. I think that there are some tasks that are better done onshore than offshore. So offshore be in the Philippines. I do think that copywriting, you know, social media creation, especially when I talk about social media creation, I, I really mean like, you know, a carousel post or content that was created with your tone of voice and those sorts of things, really important. I probably wouldn't task my VA out to do like email marketing writing or sales copywriting. So I, I do think that there are some things that probably are better done onshore, especially if they rely on Australian English. And so one of the first things that people want to get off their plate in small business is social media marketing. Mm. I don't think that's a job for your VA. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to task somebody who is in a completely different culture with a completely different language. Like it's really hard to out task that. If you really want to get that off your plate, do that in Australia or get everything else off your plate so you can learn and do that really well yourself. That would be my piece of advice. But yeah, they're the three main differences that I find. Yeah, for sure. I think if you're going to outsource social media, it's probably going to be pretty bad. And people are going to tell that it's written by ChatGBT or someone not from where you're from. Okay, there's, there's massive, obvious differences. And then that just brings a lot of distrust in your brand as soon as someone else is doing social media for you and it doesn't sound like you. And most of you just want to outsource social media because you find it hard and you just haven't found a way to make it easy yet because ways that we teach and like last episode we spoke about the content waterfall and like there are so many things that you could be doing to make sure that social media actually gets to be easy for you. It should take you no more than a couple of hours a week at absolute maximum to be able to be across all platforms and, you know, have constant stuff scheduled and going up. So it shouldn't really be a task that needs to be outsourced. And it is a skill that regardless if it's this business or the next business or a business after this, where you work in somebody else's business, it's a skill you're going to want to have. So everyone tries to get rid of it. My advice would be stop trying to get rid of that task and focus on getting rid of other tasks so you can actually learn that task properly. So we've talked about what you can hire a VA for. We've talked about the difference between overseas VAs and Australian VAs. 
Can you walk us through the hiring process and how we would find a good VA? Because you said that they're not all kind of built the same. Yeah, for sure. Great question. And it's cool to go down this path because I've seen this go wrong so many times. So a lot of the times people hire a VA and they'll just get them off a job website and then they'll be like, my VA sucks. Okay. The VA doesn't suck. Generally, your process sucks. Okay. And I'm going to give you a process here on how to make this not sucky. First thing you need to do is you need to have a scorecard or a position description. So a scorecard is like mission for the role, what tasks you're going to do, values of the company, all the stuff that they need to have a successful recruitment process with you needs to be on a document. Once you know exactly what is going to be required from this VA, then you can go out and hire them. That's a logical step, wouldn't you agree? Rather than just going to market, hiring a VA, and then like, fuck, what do I do with them? Like, it's just super logical. Which is logical, but apparently doesn't feel that logical because most people do it that way, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then second, you want to create a job ad. Then on this point, you can use ChatGBT. So what you do is you copy and paste your position description into ChatGBT and you say, make me a job ad for this. Okay. Then it will spit out one, edit it, make sure it doesn't sound like an AI trying to take over the world or Skynet or whatever it is, make it sound like actual English and the way you would type. So it's going to give you like a really good foundation for that. Third, you want to go to a website called onlinejobs.ph, okay? So this is the secret that only the listeners of this podcast get. What you can do, it's 99 USD for a month. You can just sign up for a month, and then you can put out a bunch of ads, hire a bunch of people for different roles. I'm going to give you guys a warning here. You're going to get at least 100, 200, 300 applications for this role. But what you want to do to filter this is you have to have an application form in your job description on onlinejobs.ph. So when they're reading it, they need to click through, fill in the application, and then you're going to filter it from there, okay? So you're going to want to obviously filter people that come through rather than just every Dick and Harry that presses that I'm interested in this job. So an online application form is key. If you want one, maybe swing me a message, I could send it to you. So this application form, a really key component in the application form is a typing test. So what you're going to do in the application form, you're going to say, go to this link, do the typing test, and then send me a screenshot of your score. And then you're going to filter them by that. So the typing test will filter for English and how many words per minute they can type. You want to get a really high score. After you've done that, you're going to look through the 100 or 200 applicants. You're going to go through the highest scores and then filter them from the other questions that you ask, then go through the interview process, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just going to break that down. So we have a scorecard or a position description. We're going to throw that into ChatGPT so it spits out a job ad for us. We're going to go to onlinejobs.ph. We're going to advertise the job. We're going to put an application form and a typing test in that process to make sure they have great English, they're quick and efficient, and they filled in all the application forms. And then from the application form and the typing test, you will pick your best candidates to interview. Easy. Nailed it. Okay, five steps. So it'll take you about 60 minutes. Yeah, well, it would take Tim about 60 minutes. And he is the most efficient person on the face of the universe. So if it takes you a little bit more, don't bray yourself. But it should take you around 60 to 90 minutes at most. Tim. One thing that is written here on our notes that you didn't mention, but I would love to talk about it because I think it's really interesting. The IQ test. Have you IQ tested many of your VAs? Yeah. So we had a digital marketing business that we sold last year and I hired about 20 VAs in a really short period. And I thought to myself, this would be pretty funny if I made them do an IQ test because I'd love to see like what the scores are. So we had a few of the VAs actually score a much higher IQ than Steph and I. Yeah. Okay. Which was wild. Our key VA that was in that business, was she like was like almost Elon Musk levels of intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Like very smart. Yeah. So there is this notion that 
they may not be intelligent because they are from a third world country, which is completely false. Okay. There are some smarter people than you and I or anyone listening to this podcast that are willing to work for $10. She minutes. was so smart. Like, yeah. honestly, ridiculously smart. it blew my mind. So yeah, I, I just thought we'd touch on that. You guys don't have to IQ test. You can, if you want to, again, if you want to do a typing test, IQ test, go to Google, type it in, you'll find some. Also highly recommend doing an IQ test yourself. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I found it really challenging. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Tim's smarter than me in case you didn't pick up on that. Yes, better at talking <laughs> and uh, social media and also and looking pretty and shit. <laughs> looking pretty and shit. All right, Steph. So do you have any tips for managing a VA moving into the next section? Because they're going to have one now and then they're like, well, what do I do with this person? Yeah. One of the biggest issues I see for small business owners that are using VAs is that they all try to be too nice to their VA. And I'm not saying be mean, but there is a line. You have to be firm. At the end of the day, any employee anywhere is going to take as much as you give them. So if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And, you know, that is just the reality. If you're like super lax and never check things, it's really hard to step up your management rather than going in a little bit more firm and stepping it back as they prove themselves. Okay. So again, you don't have to be mean, but it is really, really important that you are firm. Okay. So it's like, if you want your VA to do well, you want to give them as much information as you can. So tell them the task, tell them when it's due, tell them the minimum expectation or give them an example of the standard that needs to be met and then make sure they get it to you on time within the standard. And if it's not met, then obviously we need to do some retraining. And if it doesn't get met three times, I personally would probably fire that person and start again. In order to be able to train them on the way that you do things and on this standard that I just recommended, you have to have processes built out. Now, people freak out when they think about processes, and I know what you're thinking because I used to work in corporate too, and you'd be like, oh, you know, a process and procedure manual like that's, you know, 900 pages long, and it says step A, you know, section B, and all these things. You don't need that stuff. All you need is that the next time you actually do the task, you just want to download a little app called Loom, and you want to record yourself doing the task and talking through how and why you're doing it. So if I was let's say I was filtering my emails and I was putting things into folders and filing things away in my emails, I would be like, cool, this email's from so-and-so. She's a client, so I'm going to drag this into this folder. And I would just explain how and why I am doing that task. And then I would add it to a list of processes, which you could keep in a Google Doc, you could keep it in a G Drive, you could keep it literally anywhere that you give to them so that they can watch those videos so that they can learn, know your standard, know your process, and be able to execute completely. So, have your processes built out, have them on a document that that person can reference and be really clear about what days and times those tasks need to be done. So for example, if I need her to do emails every day, I know that I want them done in the morning and probably in the afternoon, right? So that every day I start with inbox zero or every day I end with inbox zero and every day I know that the first thing in the morning emails are getting tended to. So in your business, you have to figure out, like, you can't just hire someone and hope they're going to magically figure it out. Like, what is the best cadence for them? When is the best time and day for them to do it? What would their ideal week look like? Like, how could you map it out? Like, on Tuesdays, I'd love for you to have the social media content done. On Wednesdays, I'd love for you to put this in, you know, to your calendar, or I'd love for you to be organizing this, or I'd love for you to be sending out invoices, re you know, replying to this. Get really clear on what days and times you want them to do things. Have processes built out. My advice would be to start slow as well. So, you know, maybe start them off with three or four of those processes per week and slowly build up. You might start at five hours a week or 10 hours a week and then slowly build up over time. And then last but not least, but treat them as a Western employee. You know, we reward our VAs just the same way that we reward our Western employees. They get bonuses, they get Christmas presents, they get birthday presents, they get time off, they get all of the same benefits as somebody here would get because they're a human being. 
And we really value the human being on the other side of the computer. Just because we've never met Sai doesn't mean that we don't absolutely 110% value her. It doesn't mean she didn't get a whopping Christmas bonus and that we don't want to, you know, support her when she's sick or her kids are sick or something's going on in her life, you know? So treat them the same as anybody else. Tim, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so that's a big hint. So people ask me how I've kept a VA for five years because that's unheard of. You just got to treat them well mm. and you got to be firm with them, okay? So they respect that. Just like any other employee would. So if you want to have a long-term VA like I do, a fucking savage and absolute superstar in our company, then you need to treat them well. Yeah, absolutely. It seems pretty simple, but it really, really matters. The last thing I'll add to that is give them opportunity for progression. Like by culture, by nature, they're pretty driven. And so they do like to progress and they like to know that there are, you know, additional milestones. They're very driven by money at the end of the day. And the reason they're so driven by money is obviously because they live in a third world country. And so if you know a lot about their culture, what you'll actually come to learn is that a lot of them support their entire family, not just their immediate family. So they'll support their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their elderly will come and live with them. And so there is a huge family culture and the more money they earn the more that they can give back to their family and that's really important to them and so what we always do is we make sure that we have bonuses and chances for salary increase incrementally over time so maybe every six months you do a review and you know if they've been doing a great job you might bump your hourly rate up by a couple of dollars here and there and that really allows them to know that if they're doing a good job there's opportunities for progression and that's when you'll get someone for life okay so Tim, I have some final questions on VAs just so that we can make sure we've covered off on everything on this episode. How will I know my VA's capabilities? My management style isn't for the faint of heart. Okay, <laughs> so finding out my VA's capabilities after I've gone through the initial period of just working out if they can do it or not is I throw them in the deep end and see if they can swim. Okay, so I will just load them up with weekly tasks. I'll ask them to do stuff that's well outside their capabilities. And then I'll provide resources, YouTube uh, training, mentorships, whatever they need to do to accomplish the task. Because a lot of the times the limited capabilities of the VA are not down to the capability. It's your mindset around what they can do. Okay, they are very capable to learn and grow and get better. But a lot of the times we're scared to give them tasks because we think it's outside of their wheelhouse, when in reality, it's just outside of our wheelhouse in our head. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Should I hire a novice or an experienced VA? My opinion on this is always to hire a novice VA to start with, especially if you're in the like initial periods of starting your business or it's your first couple of hires. I would suggest hiring a team player that you're going to be with for a long term, and I would train them up from a novice level and then obviously keep them with you as long as you're in business. In terms of experience VA, they obviously come with a lot more baggage. They come with a way of doing things, and they come with a higher price tag, which is fine. We're happy to pay for work quality, etc. if we need a specialist for it. But the way Steph and I operate, we have generalists in our company, and our current VA is a generalist across the board at everything. And she also has no problem in putting herself through upscaling. Like yeah. when we change, we, you know, move to a new platform that is a really highly technical platform. She spent 10 hours learning it and understanding it and watching the guides and on the phone to help desk and all those things so she could understand it. So give them the space and time to actually go and learn the systems as well. Last but not least, what if I don't have time to train my VA? Yeah, so I'll flip that and say you don't have time not to train your VA because this will eventually turn into the best employee in your company if you let it. The other one here is if you don't have time, just obviously throw them YouTube videos and links and stuff to watch. If you don't have time to record videos and processes, because it's probably been done out there. So take advantage of the internet, take advantage of what is online at the moment, and then obviously give them the best ability to succeed in your company. Those that don't invest the time in their VAs usually have bad VAs. Okay. Hint, hint. It's not the VAs problem. I really just want to do some quick math, which, you know, 
fingers crossed I could do this quick math really well. Pray for us. I haven't been off to a great start today. I've done it in round numbers, so I hope I can get it right. If you have a few tasks that you're spending an hour a day on, and let's be honest, you have a lot more than that. But let's say you have a couple of admin tasks that are taking you an hour a day and you're doing that five days a week. That's five hours a week. That's over 250 hours a year. Is that right, math? Yeah. Yes. That's 250 hours a year that you are spending on that one hour a day task that you could give over to somebody else. It might take you 10 hours to train them, but that will still save you 240 hours a year. It's actually insane. Can we give a round of applause to Steph's math? <laughs> Let's fucking go. She got it. That's your first ever math equation. I, did you do math at school? No, I didn't do math at school. But also, the whole time that Tim was answering the question, <laughs> if you watch the YouTube, my head was like, you know that meme? Pop, yeah. You know that meme where there's all the numbers floating around the person's head? That was my head. I was like, five hours a week times 52 weeks. We should just do a podcast episode of just all your math fails. And we just come up with hilarious ones. Okay, math. we are going into listener. Just FYI, guys, you don't have to be math to be good at math, to be good at business. Yeah. <laughs> listener questions from Beth C. I'm going to ask you first, Tim. What is the best place to start with a sales system? We don't have one. We definitely need one, but I've got no idea where to start. Okay, Beth, I actually went full stalker ex-girlfriend on you as well, and I couldn't find out what you did. So I'm going to give a generalist answer, not a specific answer to you and exactly where you're at right now. So I would recommend anyone selling anything for, I would say, over $300 or 400 or 500 or whatever it is, whatever number it is for you, to do a sales call, okay? Because you know, especially these days, this time, there's so much bullshit on the internet. No one really knows who is legit or not. You want to show people that you're legit, and you know what you're talking about, okay? Because you have to overcome that trust factor, which is so prevalent online now. So I would be getting on a Zoom call with someone or a phone call at the very least. Zoom call so they can see face-to-face and they can see who you are, what you're about, and they can watch your body language, etc. We have like the primal brain that we need to obviously trust and, and get over like when we're making sales with people. It's just the easiest way to do it. So number one, get on a Zoom call with someone. Number two, if you can't get on a Zoom call with someone, phone call is next best. Number three, if all that shit is not good for you, then I would be doing a landing page with a video and they can still see you talking in that video. You just really want to overcome all the barriers that are going to come up. So sales call, on the sales call, you want to go through building rapport with them, finding out their goals or what they want to achieve. You want to find out the roadblocks. After the roadblocks, offer the solution and then the offer after that in that exact order. Build out that process, Beth, and you are going to be closing sales like it is Christmas. Steph, Love anything it. to add? Love the energy you just got into with that. So, so passionate. I'm energetic all the time. <laughs> okay, so, Beth, I did actually answer this in our Facebook group, but I'm going to go through it here for everyone else's benefit. So, where would you start with the sales system? Tim's just gone through the sales call process, which is so necessary. Like, the sales call matters, guys. Like, it really does matter. But before that, a full sales system build out would be like from the minute somebody engages with your company all the way through to when they sign the contract and pay the money into your business, there is a process that's going to happen. And the number one problem I see with small female business entrepreneurs, but even just small business entrepreneurs is that they don't have a singular process for this. They have lots of different processes. Like you can email me and I can sign you up and we can jump on a call and I can send you my calendar link. Or you can DM me and I can send you my price list. And sometimes I email my price list and sometimes I just send people to my website and sometimes I take phone calls and then sometimes... Sometimes, you know, somebody meets me in the street and I'm selling them. And sometimes like, it's like so overwhelming. You need one process. So our process, to give you an example, is 
You will come into our world, however you do, whether that's a lead magnet, whether that's as an Instagram follower, whether you vote in some of our staff, whether you join our Facebook group. From there, we will usually have a conversation with you of some sort. At the very least, regardless of whether we converse with you or whether you land on our landing page, it all goes to one spot, and that is a calendar booking for a call with our team. That is the only way that you can join our program. There literally is no other way. We don't DM and then, you know, I send you a price point and then you sign up. You have to have a call. 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 So every single thing that we do drives to this one position. From there, there is a process that happens. So after the sales call, what happens when we send an email? Has a price, has a like payment link. Okay. They sign up the payment link. Then what happens? Well, there's an automated email, give them access to the program. The T's and C's are in that first payment link. So like there is a process that happens every single time. And when you have a process that is repeatable, you have a business that is actually scalable because you're not having to think every single minute, every single day, like, how do I do now? What do I send? I've got to send the contract. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You got to simplify it into one thing. So to get this stuff dialed in, it hasn't been an overnight thing for us. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're up here on our high horse, being like, "Yeah, we're the fucking shit." Like we know what's <laughs> up. You know? Like we've made all these mistakes as well, and that's why we've come around the other side and we're like, "Cool, this works way better." I suggest you do it. Yeah, 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 guys, we're teaching you because we had to do it the hard way, so you don't have to. Yeah. All right. Next question from Nathan M. The question is email marketing. I currently have a very small list under a hundred, but I am building. I currently send weekly emails typed out and sent at a set time each day. At what point is it worth investing in software? I think there's a loaded question, a couple of answers here that we could probably jump into. Uh, kick us off, Steph. I just want to say congratulations, Nathan, for having a list of 100 and sending out weekly emails every yeah, week. Like, I'm proud of you. Like That level of action Perfect. makes me so happy because we know the math. Again, math. Gosh, it's my day for What's it today. Well, we know that it, it, like it's a round number. He's got a hundred. Let's say it's a hundred. Only twenty percent on average is going to open your email. So twenty people are opening his email, and only one to forty. Yeah, yes. Usually twenty to thirty. But no one will argue with you. Yeah. Uh, so let's say twenty people are going to open his email. One to three percent of those people are actually going to take any action, which means that like you know maybe two people are going to take some action on his email. No way, it's less than two, isn't it? <laughs> Way less than two. Point two. 0.2 of a person is going to take action on it. So what is going to be happening is that Nathan's going to be sending these emails to a list and nothing's going to be happening. And so he's going to be like, oh, I wonder why nothing's happening. Well, Nathan, if you're wondering why, it's because 0.2 of a person is actually going to be taking any action in your emails. So the answer is let's focus on growing your email. The second thing is just get a system now, like would be my piece of advice. Like MailerLite is so cheap. Flowdesk, they're so cheap. MailChimp, I don't care which one you get. They're all cheap. Uh, your size of business right now with the amount of emails that you currently have, it doesn't matter which one you get, get whichever one feels easiest for you. We use MailerLite. It's easy. It's up to you which one you want to use. Get the system set up now and focus on going hard on growing that list because the numbers don't lie. The biggest constraint in any business is acquiring clients, okay? Because a lot of people are like, I need to do this crazy stuff, hire this person, do this, look at this system, you know, insert X, Y, Z. The number one thing you should be doing every single day, if this is your problem, Nathan, is working out how to get more leads, get more clients, grow your email list, okay? We can get into the minutiae of all the fancy stuff and the software and all. Like, I had a group call yesterday and someone logged on and asked some super irrelevant question and they didn't have any clients. And I said, how about we just focus on getting clients? Because that's the number one thing we need to do right now. Yeah. And I, guys, I didn't really believe in email marketing. That's because I didn't have a big enough list. <laughs> the minute my list got big, email marketing, I was like, whenever we need clients, emails. Perfect. This is the best. Like, 
email marketing 100% works, but it, the tipping point starts over 2,000 emails. That's when it starts to get really easy for you to be able to make some cash on emails. All right, guys, as always, if you got some value from the show, don't forget to follow and subscribe. That is the main metric we're after. The second one is leave us a five-star review. We love every review that we get. And we appreciate it a lot. Until next Monday, guys, thanks for coming. Uh, we appreciate you and we love having you on the show. See you later.